coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to break down this week's Titanic matchup between the Dogs and the Tide is my co-host Curtis. And guys, every game's important. We gotta treasure each and every game because we only get 12 of them a year, or 10 this year, plus whatever comes in the postseason. But you're only guaranteed 12 in a normal year, 10 this season. But still, while they're all important, this is the one we've all been waiting for. For years, it seems like. You know, for for years, we were able to kind of look ahead, look at the future, the cross-divisional opponent schedule, and there set Alabama in 2020. And here we are, a month later and under different circumstances than we all anticipated, but it's here nonetheless. And thus far, both teams have done their part to set this game up as potentially the biggest game of the season. As number two and number three in the AP rankings, the number one ranked S&P plus offense with Alabama and the number one ranked S&P plus defense in Georgia are set to do battle Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. Of course, we'll have to wait to see how it all plays out and whether this game lives up to all the hype because there have been a lot of really hyped matchups that don't necessarily live up to that hype. But on the surface, at least... This is almost as big as it gets in the regular season. But Curtis, as excited as I am for this one, I have very similar vibes this week that I had going into the 2018 SEC title game. Going into that game a couple years ago, I thought we were good enough to compete. And if we played you know, maybe our best game and things broke our way, then yeah, we could absolutely find a way to win. I didn't think that was the likeliest outcome, but I I also knew that we were good enough to where it was at least a possibility. And you know what? Things did go our way, and we did play our best game for about a half or so. And then things started to fall apart a little bit in the late third quarter, and they just unraveled through the fourth quarter. And we all know how that one ended up. We don't need to rehash that. We ended up losing a heartbreaker, of course. But Going into the game against Alabama this week, I'm really experiencing like eerily similar vibes in my gut this week. And I want to be wrong. I do. I desperately want to be wrong about this. But I need someone to convince me. So Curtis, convince me, please, that I am wrong and that I'm still suffering from some sort of post-traumatic Bama syndrome. I mean, if I had to be honest, I'd probably say you were close to right, but the biggest thing that stands out differently is when we played them in 2018, we did not have one group on either side of the ball that was as dominant as our defense is this year, and I think that's the big difference of this past year. Our offense was good, yes, that year we played, but they were nowhere near the top five position group in, or you know, side of the ball in the nation as our defense is, and that's the biggest thing is their strength right now is their offense, so this year is is like the definition of strength versus strength did our defense versus their offense and who's going to blink first. And that just wasn't the case in 2018. Like we had to come in and hope that we played a complete game all the way around on both sides of the ball. I mean, yes, we still have to do that this year, but we had to play at the top of our game on both sides that year to even have a chance to really keep us in it. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point. Going back to 2018 and guys, I know it's hard to remember this, but like, cause our offense has been an issue for us going back to, to last year. 
But in 2018, our offense was actually a good bit better than our defense. Our offense was borderline elite from an efficiency standpoint. No, we didn't put up all the yards that seemed like Clemson might put up because we don't run with that kind of tempo. But from an efficiency standpoint, we were like top three nationally offensively. Defensively, that's where we kind of let down in 2018. It was a transition year from 17 to 19. In 2019, we were rolling. The offense wasn't up to par. So it's like, can we ever just get both sides going at the same time? That's a really good point there, Curtis. And, you know, the more I think about it, like, here's the thing. Like, it, this, I'm kind of torn about this game. Like, again, I had those same vibes. Like, I feel like we can win this game. I just, I don't know. And I, and I can't tell if it's that, again, that post-traumatic Bama syndrome or if there's really something more tangible to it. But when you look at these two teams from a roster standpoint, I think we have closed the talent gap. If you look at 247 Sports, they do a great job with this. Every year they release the, the updated composite rankings that cover their a, a team's entire roster. So what they literally do is they take every player in your roster and they go look at their recruiting ranking and they give you a composite rating to tell everyone who is the most talented team in the country from at least a recruiting ranking standpoint each and every year. And if you look at their 2020 composite rankings that you can find every scholarship player on their roster, right now we are number one. In 2020, we have the number one most talented roster in the country according to 247 Sports Composite Rankings. Bama is number two. It's a very close margin. We have 990 points to 985 for Bama. And, and if you look at 2018, when we played in the SEC title game, they were the number two most talented team in the country. We were number three based on 247's recruiting rankings. But in that season, Bama had 978 total recruiting points. We had 963. So it was a 15-point differential there on the on the wrong side for us. And go this, this one's even crazier. Go to 2017 when we played them for the national title. In 2017, Bama had the most talented roster in the country, according to 247 Sports, and we had the fourth most talented. But the gap was much more significant then. In 2017, Bama had 997 recruiting points on that roster. We had 930. So do the math there, guys. In three years, Kirby Smart has flipped the script and made – he's turned a 67-point recruiting deficit in the first Saban-Smart matchup in 2017 to a five-point edge this season. That's a 72-point difference in three years. Kirby Smart has flipped our roster, guys. It wasn't that we had no talent when he got here, but he has taken us to a different level from a talent standpoint. And I think – and I said this coming into the season, I felt like this was going to be the first year – where you can say that, you know what, we might have actually overtaken Bama and might have a slightly more talented overall roster. And 247's numbers back that up. But here's the other thing. That's all true, and that's great. I mean, that is an awesome starting point. I truly believe it's all. It's more so about the Jimmys and Joes than anything else. But we still have not completely figured out the offense, and that's where my concern lies. We are using the exact same formula that we have been using for a couple of years now that hasn't been able to quite get us over the hump. We've been really good with it, but it hasn't gotten us a national title and I I don't think the plan this season was to use this same formula especially offensively that wasn't the plan but it is the reality right now it's where we are offensively now it it is true that we were we are using the same formula sure but we're using with more overall talent that's true but I still have my questions about whether this formula that relies on a strong defense you guys know the deal strong defense complemented by a ball control run dominant offensive attack with a quarterback that won't kill you but also is probably not going to go out there and win a lot of games for you. Can we actually use that formula and win the whole thing, win a national title, beat a team like Alabama, especially when our offense this year? Well, yeah, it may possess more overall talent than it has in years past, 
it's still a work in progress, much more so than any other matchup with Bama. We have a new coordinator, new quarterback, new system. You guys know that. There's no Nick Chubb, no Sonny Michelle. That's where my, my concern lies right now. And yes, Bama, that defense has some issues that we're going to get into here momentarily. But is our offense good enough and functioning at a high level, high enough level right now to actually make Bama's defensive issues matter? And that's where I'm kind of concerned. I don't know the answer to that. We're going to find out. But right now, I still have some concerns that the answer might not be yes. But anyway, let's move on here, Curse. I'm sure a lot of you guys listening, you watched the Bama Ole Miss game Saturday night. And if you did, you saw the Bama defense get lit up in a way that I have honestly never seen an Alabama defense get lit up. Their defense, and this is not new necessarily, their defense has kind of been trending down the past couple of seasons, especially last year, but it's still Bama. I mean, yeah, they took a step back last year defensively, but they still barely finished outside the top 20 in total defense. I mean, that's saying something. When a down year for for your team defensively means you still basically finish inside the top 20. But the fact is, if you watch closely enough, you've seen signs of a slide for this Bama defense, and that was never more evident than it was Saturday night in Oxford when Lane Kiffin's Rebels put up 647 yards and 48 points on Bama. But it's not just the Ole Miss game. I know some 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 Bama fans are trying to you know explain it away and say, "Oh, it's just one game. Ole Miss, they're doing this to everybody." Yeah, they are. But it's not just this game. Bama also gave up almost 90 more yards to Texas A&M in Week Two than Vandy did in Week One. And this game against Ole Miss was also the third time in that last eight games, dating back to last season, that a Bama defense has given up 42 points or more. And that stat becomes even more stark when you consider that prior to these past eight games. Bama's defenses had only given up 42 points three times in the previous 65 games. So Bama fans can make excuses all they want, try to explain it away. But the clear reality is this defense is not the same, uh, even even compared to what it was in 2017 when we played them for the national title and also in 2018. But Curtis, stats are one thing. I want to get more specific about this. What exactly is wrong with the Alabama defense these days. What's so different between now and even that 2017 Bama D that finished number one in the country in both toe defense and scoring defense? What's different this year? The the big difference is just the lack of depth. You know, when you go back to, especially when Kirby Smart was there, their first 11, I still think is really good compared to what they were back then. But the, the difference is the next 11 off the bench. Uh, there, there was a time back then where, you know, their first 22 could have easily gone in the first three rounds because they were always just so deep and talented on the roster, and, and that's the big thing is they have really good players. Like They're still getting five stars. You're talking about how the 247, their rankings of the overall talent on the roster is still there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the, the talent is still there. You're, I, I think you're exactly right about this, Curtis. The depth, I, this is a key point. I think there's more to it than just depth, but you don't really hear as many people. Maybe they're talking about in Tuscaloosa. I don't know. But nationally, you don't hear as much conversation about – the lack of depth defensively for this Alabama squad. You're right. They have some good players. Dylan Moses, everybody, literally everybody in America wanted him. Christian Barmore, everybody wanted him. Sertan, everybody wanted him. These guys are highly recruited guys. Bama doesn't really take guys unless they can play, right? That's just, I mean, that's what Saban's been doing for years. He kind of set the standard there. But if you look at it, it's strange. They just, they have some good players in that top 11 defensively. But you're right, they don't have the depth they once did. If you go back and look, at, I mean, it's just the Ole Miss game is one small snapshot here. There are a couple of guys in that game defensively that played every single defensive snap, all right? 89 snaps, all right? There are 89 defensive snaps for Alabama. Dylan Moses, Christian Harris, both inside linebackers, both starters, played every 
single snap. Josh Job at cornerback played every single snap. 89 out of 89. Patrick Sertan played 88 out of 89. Malachi Moore, true freshman at star, played 86 out of 89. Guys, they're not they're not rotating those guys. And you know what? The game was like Ole Miss was moving the ball in the first half, but they weren't moving like they ended up doing in the second half, not as consistently. And you can see in the second half, Bama got worn down. Like the pay, I've heard people talk about the pace that Ole Miss was running with and how it was confusing Bama. Yeah, there was some of that. Like it, some of it was confusion, sure. But a big part of it was also just exhaustion. Those guys are playing a lot of snaps. Talking about the death, I mean, especially when you go against a team that likes to go hurry up and get on the line of scrimmage and spread you out and run you from sideline to sideline and make you make plays to, to stop and prevent things from happening like Ole Miss does when they put pressure on you, you have to be able to rotate in and out because that's your only way to keep your players fresh and keep them going, and they just can't do it. I mean, if you look at our defense, one of the biggest things is even when our first, especially our front, or, you know, our front four come out, you're still putting people like Julian Rochester, um, Jalen Carter, and, and uh, Trevon Walker. People are like that are, are the guys coming off the bench, and those guys are still absolute studs, but that's not the case, the other case, you know, on the other side for Alabama. That's the big difference. Yeah, and it's, it, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they don't – it's not that they don't have those guys. If you look at the recruiting ranks, maybe it's that they don't trust them. They're not developed yet. Or maybe they just think there's, they're just not ready to play when you have the starters who are playing like they are. But when you get in the second half, you see Ole Miss's offensive line, which is not a great offensive line, pushing around guys like Christian Barmore and LeBron Ray and DJ Day. I mean, I'm talking about moving them consistently. That, that should not happen. And I think a big part of that is those guys, number one, they're playing a lot of snaps, they're tired, and then the pace just exacerbates that. It makes it a major problem. So I do think that's a big issue, Chris. I'm really glad you pointed that out because I think you're exactly right. But on top of that, like, I would go even deeper. Here's the question I have. Yes, they have some good players in this defense. But, Curtis, right now, who are the true difference makers? Who, like, who's performing at a difference-making level right now for this Alabama defense? Um, realistically, there's three players. Josh Job, you mentioned. I believe Christian Harris is and Christian Barmore. I mean, Dylan Moses is really good in stopping the run, but he got exploited really badly against Ole Miss in the passing game because they lit him up using their tight ends over the middle of the field. Something that you mentioned earlier, you know, over the summer that as good as Dylan Moses is, that's the one place he struggles is in pass coverage. And so that's how I go with those other three. Yeah, I I think those are probably their top guys, but right now at each level, but I just, even like those guys, I'm not sure like, those guys are performing at what I would call like a difference maker level. Like you mentioned Dylan Moses, like, like like by reputation, people consider him to be a difference maker for the Alabama team. And you heard all last year, well, if we get if we just had Dylan Moses, we get him back, we're fine. Well, really, he's back, and are you fine? Don't think so. But he, like his is all about reputation. But he's certainly not playing that way right now. If you look at the, at the uh, the grades on Pro Football Focus right now, he's grading out on the year through three games at a fifty two point six. 52.6. Like, that is not an elite player. Maybe he was at one point. Actually, if you go back to his, his freshman year back in 2018 when he was when he started pretty much every game, he only graded out then at 67.7. So I, he's another guy that, yeah, he was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Was he ever really performed at that difference-making level? I don't think the answer is yes. He's had moments, but not consistently. Uh, then you look at the defensive line, and here's where I think there's, they've really taken a step back. Forever, the band, like the front seven in general was just dynamic especially that defensive front. But who is the Quinn and Williams, the Ashawn Robbins, and the Jonathan Allen, even the Dalvin Tomlinson right now up front? Christian Barmore, he's playing pretty well right now. He's great out at an 80 overall. But I still wouldn't say he's been dominating the way a guy like Quinn and Williams did or Ashawn Robbins and Jonathan Allen. He's not dominating like those guys. 
LeBron Ray at defensive end is a good player. He's playing well. I think the guy's really talented. Six foot five, two ninety five, moves really well. But I still don't think he's dominating. Christopher Allen and Justin Boyby uh, at, uh, on the edges there. They're not really doing a great job setting the edge. In fact, I think we have we'll have some opportunities to attack the edges with how they're playing. Ole Miss did a great job attacking the edges. Certainly, pace and exhaustion has something to do with that. But those guys were not consistently setting the edge. They were getting beat out wide, and, and that was a problem for them. And they're also not rushing the, the pass particularly well. They're only 27th overall nationally uh, in, in their pass rush grade, and their secondary has holes everywhere right now. If you look at it nationally, guys, remember there's only I think there's 73 teams playing right now. Well, they are 33rd nationally in their pass coverage grade with a 67 grade overall. And to put this in more context, we've talked about through the first three weeks how we've actually, we feel like we've had some issues uh, defending the pass, especially some of the big plays. But we're actually third right now nationally with our pass coverage grade with an 88.7. Bama's not even close. Patrick Sertan is good, but he's not elite. He's not an All-American like people think he is. He's just not. Job is good. I think you're right, Kurt. Job is a good player. Uh, at safety, I think they have major liabilities. Daniel Wright, an ab, he was an absolute liability against Ole Miss. He had a 38.8 overall grade against Ole Miss. I mean, they were abusing him in the middle of the field. Jordan Battle, I think, is better than Wright. He's more like their their um, quarterback on defense. But he's still a liability in coverage. And correct me if I'm wrong, Curtis, but I think he's going to miss the first half of this game. Is that correct with the targeting call against Ole Miss? That is correct. He got it with about five minutes left in the game. So that he yeah. will be out the first half. That's tough. That's tough. And a guy that's that's a big part of that defense. And then the guy that I think might be the biggest liability of them all in the secondary is true freshman Malachi Moore, who's their starter at, at star right now. And he played almost the entire game. Again, he was 86 out of 89 snaps against Ole Miss. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go half the time. He plays with poor leverage. He really hasn't flashed great ball skills. Honestly, he hasn't even flashed the ability to consistently stay with wide receivers at this point. He's a guy that I absolutely think that we can exploit. And, uh, oh, yeah, here's another difference, Kurt. They also don't have Kirby Smart or Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, have you heard some of the, the consternation in the Bama fan base over Pete Golding this week? Yeah, I've heard a lot about him. And, you know, I've been talking to people, and it really cracks me up because when Kirby Smart was there, it, there was never any credit for Kirby Smart. It was, you know, he's just running Nick Saban's defense. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't done crap. Uh, and then Pruitt, the same thing. But now all of a sudden when they're gone and the depth isn't there and the coach is Golden's not a good coach. I just don't think he's a brilliant of mind to say Pruitt and Kirby Smart are in their own right. But now all of a sudden, all the pressure's on him, and no longer is it Nick Saban's defense. Is he to blame that all the credit goes to him, but all the blame is on Pete Golding? It's interesting how that works out, right? You're exactly right. They were all about Pete Golding. I mean, we're not going to miss Kirby. He's the next Kirby Smart. He's going to be better than Kirby Smart. And it's like, oh, really? How's that? working out for you guys yeah interesting to see how that works out but yeah I think there's a lot of issues whether it's the not having difference makers not having the depth they once had not having the coaching talent they once had there are a lot of issues right now for this Bama defense and they're having a tough time right now but Kurt let me also ask you this that was a terrible performance by the Alabama defense for sure you can't slice it any other way but I think it goes beyond the stats I mean they were misaligning blowing assignments not getting out blocks missing tackles just a poor performance so understandably a lot of Georgia fans watch that game and got really encouraged by that. And I can't I can't lie. I mean, to me, I was actually encouraged to watch it. I was like, oh, maybe we can actually do something against this Alabama defense. But, Chris, I think you can also argue this both ways. But in your mind, was what happened to the Bama defense in Oxford last week actually good or bad for Georgia this week? I could see it definitely being bad. You know, Bama coming out saying they've got something to prove, especially in this top, three, you know, this top five matchup. But the one thing that really stands out to me, though, is all that – 
Ole Miss really did was just exploit Alabama's weaknesses. Now, they are who they are to a certain degree. Now, they can come out with more energy and different things like that. But I think you were seeing, you know, signs that they, that, that defense under Nick Saban is human. Now, I'm not good. I still think they're going to come out and play a really good game because they're going to have a chip on their shoulder and all these things. You know, Saban's getting after him. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they will have a good game. But I do think that there are certain things that you just can't correct in a couple of days of practice. Yeah. I, I know Bama fans, like, they're trying to, you know, make themselves feel a little bit better about saying, oh, you know what? We'll play with a chip on our shoulder. But you're right, Kurt. Like, there's only, like, you have a couple of days of practice. Like, you're going to really fix all those issues? Maybe. It's happened before. I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible. And honestly, it's tough to say because I don't know what the inner dynamics of that team are right now. Because on one hand, yeah, it, it could be great for them to have gotten embarrassed but still find a way to win that game because they come with a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. It gives the coaches something to harp on all week. They can use it as a motivational tool. It could work that way. It could. It's happened before. But on the other hand, you wonder how much dissension is going on right now. What does a game I like mean, that do to your confidence? We, we faced that last year. You know, all those times, the South Carolina game for us and some of these other games where our offense was abysmal, we were like, you know what, now we get to go to the drawing boards. We know we play terrible, but we can't do any worse. Um, you know, the coaches have something to work on and try to fix and get after it. And we kept telling ourselves that week in and week out. But we also came to the sobering reality that, you know, we are who we are to a certain degree. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, like, it, like the Florida game last year, yes, we had that terrible performance offensively against South Carolina. We, had, we go into the bye weeks. So we actually, it's a little bit of a different story because we had two weeks to prepare for Florida, get our offense together. And we came out and we played really well offensively against Florida. Maybe as, as well as we played, well, definitely as well as we played any time the second half of the year. And so we were kind of like, hey, maybe this means we've turned the corner. Maybe we fixed things. So we're going to be fine the rest of the way. But then the very next two weeks, like, oh, no, no, that was just an anomaly. That was just a one-week thing. We're back to being who we are offensively. So I think there's something to be said for that, Kurt. You're exactly right. And, like, you got to wonder what a game like that does to a team's confidence. I mean, yeah, you can come out jacked up to prove everyone wrong. But if we get a few early scores up on the board, do they start to get down themselves? Do they start pointing fingers again? Like, does it start spiraling out of control? Like, those are questions that, that I don't know the answer to. But I, I think you could argue both either way here. I think it just depends on, like, your perspective. Of course, Bama fans are going to argue that, oh, we're going to come up with a chip on our shoulder. Georgia fans are going to say, well, no, you're just not that good, and you can't fix your problems one week. We'll find out the answer on Saturday. But uh, I think I'm probably with you, Curtis. I'm, I'm going to lean in that direction of saying, like, yeah, I'm sure you can come out and you can correct some mistakes and you have the guys focus this week, of course, but you're going to have the guys focus regardless. I mean, this is a massive matchup, prime time, number two versus number three. So I don't know how, how much difference that's going to make, but there's just some issues. And you're right, they don't play a ton of guys. They don't, like, who are their other options? They're just not playing other guys. Like, they have who they have. And can you fix all those issues in one week? I, I don't know. And I know we're not Ole Miss's offense. Trust me, I know that. And we're not going to we're not going to stress them the same way Ole Miss did, but you still got to wonder if all those issues, all those holes, are going to be filled in one week. But all right, so we spent some time talking about how bad the Alabama defense played last week, but obviously, guys, they're still number two in the country. So to be fair, this offense is putting up massive numbers, and they have been for a couple years now. Sure, yeah, Ole Miss put up 647 yards on Bama, but you know how Bama still managed to win that game by two touchdowns? Yeah, they managed to put up even more yards. 723 of them to be precise, which was the most yards an Alabama offense has ever gained in a single game. And here's the craziest stat of all. Kurt, you might have heard this at some point this week. I believe it was Roger Sherman. I want to give him credit who posted this on Twitter. But Alabama gained all but 41 yards that were possibly available to them in that game against Ole Miss. What that means, let me explain this, is that out of all the yards Alabama possibly could have gained in that game based on where each drive started, Ole Miss was only able to keep them from gaining 41 of those yards. 
Bama could have gained a total of 764 yards based on the starting field position of each drive, and they managed to gain 723 of them. That is maybe the single craziest stat I have ever heard in my life. Like I was running this morning when I heard that stat, and I literally, I never stopped my runs, even for traffic. I'm like darting around traffic. I had to stop and like, what? That's impossible. It's just unbelievable efficiency and dominance. So Curtis, what is it about this Alabama offense that makes them so lethal? You have Waddle who can take it to the house on any one play. Devonta Smith can take it to the house on any one play. And even Najee Harris. So that's just the big thing is that there are just so many home run hitters. And then also in the same right is this is year two in that offensive system. They're just clicking. Like everyone knows what they need to do. Like it's a lot of experience out there. So when you combine experience with the explosiveness, big things are going to happen. And let's be honest too is Ole Miss was terrible defensively as good as Najee Harris is. They're poor tackling. Like Najee Harris is one of these big, strong running backs, and once he gets going, he's going. But you have to stop him before he gets going. Um, and, and that's just a big thing, too, is and also Najee, throwing him into it, not only is he a good running back, but he's also a threat out of the backfield. So they just have so many options that any one player – I mean, realistically, yeah, they throw a lot of bombs downfield for big plays, but they make just as many big plays happen on short intermediate routes where they just take it to the house more than anything. They're just so explosive, and you're exactly right to start off – by talking about the wide receivers, because I think that's where it all starts. It's that elite group of wide receivers. No, it's not the same group. They don't have as many of the guys they had as, as they had last year when you had guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, but it's still very much an elite group of wide receivers. You throw John Mechie into the equation this year, it's still elite, and they stress defenses vertically. And I, again, I want to emphasize the word group here. That's the key thing. It's three guys, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle and, and John Mitchie now. All three of those guys have already had at least one game where they've had 140 yards plus receiving, at least one already this season out of three games, all three of those guys. But it's really – it's kind of like LSU last year is what it reminds me of. LSU really only played like three guys at wide receiver all year long. I mean, it, very rarely they bring someone else in. But the only other guy that Alabama is, is going to get snaps for right now, like in the Ole Miss game, the only other receiver that got snaps in that game – outside the top three guys, was Slade Bolden. And he got five of 72 offensive snaps for Bama. So it's really a three-headed monster there. And they're not – like kind of like the, the depth issues on defense. I'm not saying they have depth issues offensively, but they're just not – they're not rotating those guys. And, and credit to them for having the conditions to be able to go out there and run all those routes they're doing, all those snaps. But that's a lot of snaps for three guys to take. Then obviously you have to have a quarterback that is dynamic enough to – or that is good enough to distribute the ball – and I, I, I certainly would not say that that uh, Mac Jones is as dynamic as Tua was. Clearly not. But right now, Mac Jones is playing at an extraordinarily high level. He's grading out, according to Pro Football Focus, at a 93.6 through three weeks. He's number two nationally in total QBR, although you guys might be surprised that Stetson Bennett is actually number three right now nationally in total QBR. Um, it, but I will say, like, yeah, he's playing really well, but Mac Jones hasn't played a particularly good defense this year, and this probably is, well, I would say, certainly the best defense he will face, maybe the best in the country. But when, when you pair that passing game, as good as they've been, with a really good and talented offensive line and a veteran senior running back like Najee Harris, then what you do is you put the defense in a ridiculous run-pass conflict, and that's that's tough for any defense to defend even if it's a defense as good as ours. And then you throw in the RPOs on top of the natural run-pass conflict that they create with that pass game and their running attack, and then good night. 
it's just a really, really tough offense to defend because they can really beat you in a variety of ways. You're right. They, they can beat you down the field of the passing game. They can beat you with the RPOs, take a, a short slant, and, and take it the distance. They have multiple guys that can do that. It's just a really tough offense to defend because they stress you in so many different ways. But all right, Curtis, what I want to focus on next is our potential path to victory in this game. All right. Again, like I said at the outset of the show, I don't think us winning this game is necessarily the likeliest outcome, but I also certainly still think there's a path to victory for us. So that's what I want to focus on. By no means is this game a lost cause. Not at all. Even if our offense isn't playing at a high level right now. So for you, Curtis, what is our recipe for a win in this matchup? What do we have to do? What has to happen? Um, well, I mean, the first thing is what has to happen is we have to win the turnover battle. We can't go into, especially like the way we started the Tennessee game, you know, with the bad snap and getting behind the eight ball. You can't do that. So you have to win the turnover battle to keep yourself in this game. And the second of all, offensively, I think our game plan is we're gonna ha- we're not going to be able to start out with these two tight end sets and these tight sets against Alabama because you're playing into their strengths at that point. We're going to have to spread them out. We're going to have to throw on early downs, and that's the only way to be successful is to be unpredictable and not playing to their strengths. Like, we're not going to be the hurry-up team hurling it around like Ole Miss was, but if you're able to spread them out, you're giving yourself a better chance at creating lanes, especially for the running game, to get going. I 100% agree with that, Curtis, with, with the spreading teams out. I've been waiting for that all year because I felt like we would do more of that with with Todd Munkin, but we've still seen a lot of, like, 12 personnel with two tight end sets, some some heavy personnel, some tight sets, and I, I've wanted for a long time for us to get away from that because go watch the Ole Miss tape, guys. If you didn't watch that game or if you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Look at how Ole Miss spread that field. They had guys on the sideline. They had guys stacked on top of each other on the sideline. They, they were running trips in the boundary. They were doing everything they could to stress the Bama defense by spreading them out. Yes, they were able to hit some big plays in the running game. You know, one of the reasons they were able to hit some of those big plays in the running game is because Bama was spread so wide in the field that they could not get their, their star players, those overhang defenders, into the box. It creates natural space for the run game. And Yeah, I know that there were some people that were frustrated this week sending me some questions on, on social media about Zeus not really being explosive in the run game, and there's a lot of questions about that. And I get it. I get it. Yeah, he, he, sometimes his vision is lacking at times. He puts his head down, sure. But when we run all these tight sets, there's just not as much room. You have bodies all up in there. So almost all you can do at times is just try to put your shoulder down and run up there and get a couple yards, as many as you can. We need to start spreading the field more. I'm totally with you, Chris. All the offenses that are putting up massive points, Bama, Ole Miss, Florida, they are spraying the field. And we're just not doing that right now. Maybe we're not going to. I don't know but I really would like us to. But I agree with, agree with almost everything you said there, Kerr. I think I would take it a step further. I would say to win this game, our formula, our, our recipe has to be – this has to be the cleanest game that this offense has played to this point. Uh, by Honestly, by a wide margin. Like, and Here's what I mean by that, guys. We can't have bad snaps. We can't have dumb drive-killing penalties. We can't have big plays that get called back because of a holding call. We can't have blown assignments on the offensive line. We can't have missed side adjustments by young wide receivers. We absolutely, as Curtis said, cannot turn the ball over. We cannot give that dynamic of an offense additional chances, especially on a short field. And also on top of that, here's another part of playing the clean game. We are going to have to capitalize on every single opportunity we get. We can't force two turnovers coming out of the second half like we did against Tennessee and only get six points out of those two turnovers. That has to be 14 points. When we get in the red zone, we got to score touchdowns. When we force a turnover, we got to convert those into touchdowns, not field goals, touchdowns, because we just aren't good enough offensively right now to let opportunities pass us by. We don't have the Bama-type offense where we can score in a flash. We have not really been explosive offensively this year. We've been fine, okay, but not explosive. 
And on the flip side, defensively, we're going to have to create some turnovers. We're going to have to create some negative plays, put them behind the chain, stress them out. And above all, Kerr, you mentioned how dynamic they are offensively with, with the receivers and creating big plays. We absolutely simply cannot give up the big play. That is how Bama demoralizes you. That's how they kill you. That's how they change games. It's not, and you're right, Kurt, you said this earlier. It's not just always the vertical shot, shot down the field. They'll take screens, they'll take RPOs to the house with those dynamic wide receivers. And like they were second in the country last year in plays of 30 plus yards. Uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, we were second in the country last year in allowing plays of 30 plus yards. Right now we're fourth in the country. So we've been good at this over the past couple of years. This has been a priority of Kirby Smarts. We've talked about this before, how we want to force teams to go down the field methodically, 10, 11, 12 play drives, and you can score doing that, then we'll tip our cap to you. We don't want to give up the one or two play drives. And Bama's been really good at that. We've got to force them to execute their way down the field. And also, on the flip side, like we can't settle for field goals. We have to score touchdowns, but we also need to force Alabama into field goal attempts. They've historically had a very weak kicking game. Uh, and we've been incredibly strong in the red zone so far this year. Right now, we're number one nationally in red zone touchdown efficiency, but we haven't really been tested. We've only had two attempts in the red zone defensively. We haven't allowed any touchdowns yet, but if they get in the red zone, and guys, they probably will get in the red zone at times. This is a really good, I know we're good defensively. They're really good offensively too, but what we have to do is bow our neck in the red zone and force field goal attempts. We got to force them to do that, and then we've got to capitalize and score touchdowns when we get opportunities. That is a recipe for victory in this game. But all right, guys, we cannot get out of here today without doing our 3-2-1 segment where we give you three reasons for optimism heading into this Titanic matchup, two reasons for concern, and then one key to the game. So, Curtis, I'm going to let you open this up, man. What are your three reasons for optimism heading into this one? The one thing I really like is our special teams, um, our kicking game. I know uh, Podolanski is still very young, but I, I definitely like Kamarda, the way he can change the field position like that one where he's kicking out of the end zone and completely pins them at about the 30 right on the corner. I mean, you just have to feel comfortable when you have a weapon like that that can keep you from you know, winning the field position battle. Number two is, I mean, you always got to feel good when you have our defense. Um, I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's always going to be some type of comfort factor to you. And then number three, I think, is past history, actually, is just um, the way we've lost it in the last couple of times. I think you got to kind of gives you a feeling that it's eventually going to change. And I'm not saying, you know, it may, it may be this week, but it may not be. But I think that you have to think that eventually it's going to change. So do you think we have the psychological edge going into this game? I'm not saying we do, but I think we have some hunger that – where if you you know win some you lose some it's different than where if you've been embarrassed on the big stage the last couple of times you played them and you were that close to especially when you go back to the national championship and things like that like you were that close to getting what you were you know played that season for. Yeah, I think again I think you can argue both ways on the psychological edge here. Obviously, with Alabama coming in with the chip on their shoulder defensively, but it's not just one unit for us. It's our entire team. Like Bama has been the conversation, right? Georgia's when are we? When are you going to beat Bama? When are you going to get over that hurdle? When are you going to take control of the SEC? You've taken control of the SEC East. What about the entire league? When are you going to become the next Bama? We've heard that for years now, and I so I think that does potentially give us the overall psychological edge in this game. And I don't know how much that even matters. But I think it has to matter at least to some small degree. It helps your preparation more than anything. It helps the focus coming into the week. And once you get between the white lines, I don't know how much that matters. I think it really does carry over into the offseason, into the, the week of preparation leading up to the game. So I think we might have a slight edge there, which doesn't hurt. I'll take it. 
Um, but I don't know if that's a, a massive deal. I'm just curious what you thought there. But for my three reasons for optimism, the first one I'm going to go with is something that we've already touched on a little bit, so I won't spend a ton of time on this. But it does bear mentioning again because I don't think this is getting enough attention heading into this game. But I love our depth advantage in this matchup. I just don't think this is being talked about enough. We roll right now, guys. We're rolling with three guys at inside linebacker. We're rolling with three guys at outside linebacker on standard downs if Jermaine Johnson is back. And I hope he's back this week. At least we did in week one when we had him available along with Aziz Ojolari and Nolan Smith. We got three guys that we're rotating in at cornerback. We'll see if DJ Daniel gets as many reps as he has been getting. He's been getting between 20 and 30 snaps a game at this point, even though he hasn't been starting. But we have the potential to roll with three guys at cornerback. We've got two guys that play just about identical snaps at the star and money position in Tyreek Stevenson and Mark Webb. We've really got eight guys that roll on the defensive line to get double-digit snaps on average each game. We have no guy on the defensive line that really gets more than about 65 or so percent of the snaps. But if you look at Bama, they've got two guys that play inside linebacker. There is no rotating going on there right now. They've got really two guys at cornerback. They don't rotate those guys at all. They've got one guy at starting. It's a true freshman. They've got really two guys at safety if they're both healthy and not getting ejected from football games. And they've only got about five guys on that defensive line, really between three spots that are rotating in and out through that game. And if you look at us on offense, we've got four guys that get double-digit snaps at running back. They might not get double-digit touches, but they're getting double-digit snaps. We've got about five guys at wide receivers, three at tight end now with Trey McKitty back. Bama has two guys at running back and three at wide receiver. They just don't have the depth really on either side of the ball. At least they're not playing as many guys on either side of the ball. And I really don't expect that to change all that much in the span of one week. That depth advantage, if we can just stay within striking distance when we get into the second half, I think that we're going to have an opportunity to really take control of the game with our depth. I really believe that. I'm telling you guys, if you watch that Ole Miss game, Ole Miss was putting up some points. They were moving the ball in the first half, but not like they were in the second half. You could just look at the Bama guys. That Bama defensive line, which is clearly more talented, bigger, stronger than that Ole Miss offensive line, they were getting pushed around. Guys like Christian Barmore, LeBron Ray, DJ Dale, they should not be getting pushed around by the Ole Miss offensive line, but they were consistently in the second half. And I think a big part of that, potentially the main part of that, was just simply the fact that those guys were worn down and exhausted in the second half, especially having to play against all the snaps that Ole Miss will put your defense through with how they run tempo. I think that could be a big factor with a big caveat here if, if we can keep it close enough and stay within striking distance into the second half, I think that depth can really start to work to our advantage. So that's the first reason I think Georgia fans have a little bit of optimism heading into this matchup with Alabama. And then the second reason for optimism, as far as I'm concerned here, is that yes, Mac Jones has been really good for Alabama to this point. He really has, guys. And he's also been really good against the Blitz. I mentioned this some on the Mailbag episode, but for those who might have missed that show, I want to bring it up again. I think this is a key point in this game. If you look at Mac Jones' pro football focus grade when he's blitzed, he's grading out in 92 out of 100 when he's blitzed. And when you blitz, I mean, what I call a blitz is when you're bringing more than four guys. If you're only bringing four guys, to me, that's not a blitz. Even if it, it, the offense can't really predict where those guys are coming from, to me, I don't classify that as a blitz. 
To me, a blitz is when you bring five or six or even potentially more guys. I wouldn't advise bringing more than six, but some teams, I guess, do every now and then if you're going with zero coverage. But when you blitz, you dedicate more of your finite resources towards pressuring the quarterback. And that means you're required to remove players from coverage responsibilities, which means there's going to be more open space. It's going to be far more difficult to defend against the pass. But if you look at Mac Jones, when he's pressured without the blitz, so when a team is able to pressure him by bringing only three or four rushers, he's only grading out at a 73.7, which is not terrible, but you know what it isn't? It isn't a 92. That's about a 20-point difference when he's blitz versus when he is pressured without the blitz. And guys, Jake Fromm had very similar numbers. If you go back to last year, Jake Fromm graded out on Pro Football Focus at an 87 when he was blitzed, but only a 63.7 when he was under pressure without the blitz. And the reason for that is quarterbacks like Mac Jones and Jake Fromm that got where they are without dynamic physical tools and athleticism, they had to be really good at something else. To compensate for their lack of athleticism, and the lack of maybe physical tools, they had to be really good at the mental part of the game, identifying coverages, understanding how to attack them. So when they got blitzed, they were lights out. They have answers. They understand where a particular blitz will leave a defense vulnerable and how then to attack that. But if you get pressure on them without blitzing, just by bringing a three or four man rush and still being able to play coverage behind it, Well, they can't extend the plays. They don't have that level of athleticism. They can't just take off and run and make you pay with their legs. They aren't those kind of guys. And I bring this up. I think this is important. This is a reason why I think we should be optimistic in this game. It's because we do a really good job of getting pressure with four without blitzing. Kirby Smart's and Dan Lang's defense has, we've kind of become the masters of the simulated pressure where we look like we're bringing five or six guys. We show blitz here, but we back out the snap. We bring pressure from, from a different direction with different players. We really make it tough on quarterbacks, even quarterbacks as smart as Mac Jones, because we have so many guys that are standing up, moving around. We have so much versatility on the field in our third down packages that we can still pressure the quarterback without having to bring more than four. Now, occasionally we will bring five or six. You can't be that predictable where you only bring four, but the vast majority of the time, we really only bring four. And I think that's the wise move in this game when you consider how good Alabama is in their passing game with those receivers and how much they can make you pay if you dedicate too many resources to getting after the quarterback with blitz pressure. So the fact that we are able to get pressure on the quarterback with a four-man rush using our simulated pressure, I think that's something that really bodes well for our ability to try to do something to slow down this Alabama offense. And then finally, my third reason for optimism is that we have been really good attacking the middle of the field on offense. Our passing game hasn't really been necessarily lights out or dynamic by any stretch of the imagination, but Stetson has been really good attacking the middle of the field, which is something that's new for our offense. Jake Fromm really stayed away from the middle of the field. And if you look at Stetson's passing chart, like he's been especially good in the intermediate routes in the middle of the field between 20 and 30 yards. He's grading out at a 91.2, throwing the ball in the middle of the field between 20 and 30 yards. That's really where he's been excelling more than anywhere. And I think it's been that way because Kiaris Jackson and the tight ends, they have been really good. And we've been able to take advantage of teams trying to take away George Pickens by shading his safety his way or bracketing him in some different ways because that mainly requires them when they do that, when they're trying to take away Pickens, 
That mainly requires them to play middle of the field open defenses, which means they have two high safeties. You have to have one safety over Pickens and you got to have another safety somewhere, right? I mean, you should, otherwise you're going to get burned somewhere else. And you know what? We've been Since we've been so good attacking the middle of the field, I feel good about this because that happens to be the weakness of this Bama defense. Their safeties and their star position, Malachi Moore is a true freshman in coverage, and their linebackers in coverage, they've been god-awful. I mean, Christian Harris is only grading out a 56.1 right now at inside linebacker in pass coverage. Dylan Moses, Curtis, you mentioned this earlier, only grading out a 43.8 in pass coverage right now. So I think this is a matchup that we could really continue to exploit. We've been really good doing that to this point this year, attacking the middle of the field. And I think Bama's defense sets up for us to be able to do something very similar. Now, I will say I'm very curious. I mentioned this on the Mailbag Show. I'm very curious to see the adjustments that they make. Ole Miss really hurt them from the slot. Kenny Yaboa had seven catches for 181 yards as the tight end for Ole Miss last week. Elijah Moore had 11 catches for 143 yards, primarily operating out of the slot. Although they do do move him around to different spots, but he operates a lot out of that slot wide receiver position. So when Alabama's looking at this, and they kind of combine the success that Kenny Yaboa at tight end, Elijah Moore out of the slot had last week for Ole Miss, and then the success that we've had from our slot wide receiver spot and the tight ends in the middle of the field, it makes you wonder, it really does, it makes you wonder if they will do what no team has dared do yet and leave their cornerback one-on-one versus George Pickens, because that's a bold strategy, Cotton. If you go that direction, that's a bold strategy. So far, teams have said, okay, we're going to make you beat us with someone other than George Pickens, because he's your only proven commodity out wide. Well, we have beaten teams with someone other than George Pickens in three straight games now. So are teams going to just continue to play us the same way and let Kiaris Jackson do what he's doing? At what point do they say, okay, well, maybe this isn't working so well, so let's try something different. So with Patrick Sertan as as a preseason All-American, does Alabama have the confidence in him to at least let him try to open the game? Maybe. I'm curious. But if they do that, I don't think that's going to end up working out so well for them. That might make this game George Pickens coming out party. You know Pickens, guys. Like He's the guy. He lives for these big moments when the lights are shining like this. And he would love nothing more than to be able to go out and have his breakout game. Not that he hasn't broken out yet on the scene, but at least his breakout game in the 2020 season. And I think it's possible if they decide to try to to cover him one-on-one, to not allow us to be so effective in the middle of the field with Garris Jackson and the tight ends. They might play some middle of the field closed defenses, some of the cover three, some man free, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm curious what they'll end up doing there, but just it's something that bears watching. But all right, Curtis, let's go to two reasons for concern. Curtis, what are two reasons Georgia fans should be concerned heading into this game? Um, I still think you got to say Stetson Bennett because, you know, like I mentioned, he looked human against Tennessee and this is going to be the biggest game he's ever played in probably his entire career. And you just don't know how he's going to respond. I mean, yeah, he's been around the block when it came to practice and things like that, but he just doesn't have that big time game experience where a lot of pressure and all the eyes are on you. Yeah, I certainly hope this doesn't end up being like the, the biggest game of his career, but to this point, it clearly is the biggest game to his career. I think that's a great point. All right. What's your second reason? I think I'm still going to go with the running backs right now. Um, we just got to find some recipe that's working because we're, I mean, maybe you can go with the offensive line being the problem, but I think the run game is a cause for concern as a whole right now. Yeah, I, we're going to have a tough time winning this game if we can't find a way to run the football. I agree with that. And for me, I told you guys at the outset of the show that I'm having very similar vibes heading into this game that I was heading into the 2018 SEC title game matchup 
against Alabama. Now, this is early in the week. We're actually recording this episode a day earlier than we normally do. We're recording it on Tuesday. So I have time to work out these butterflies and, and get rid of these vibes. But I, I do have some serious causes for concern. You know, honestly, putting together this episode and doing the research for it did make me feel a, a, actually a good bit better about this matchup. But there are still some serious causes for concern. For me, the number one has to be like I continue to have concerns about our coverage ability from the slot. It's a really tough place to defend. It's not the same as playing cornerback. You don't have the, the sideline there to help you kind of shield off a guy where they can only have pretty much one-way go. They have a two-way go here. That whatever leverage you're playing with, they can go the opposite direction. A lot of those guys have option routes they're running. They can kind of just run the route based off what leverage you're playing them with. It's a really tough position to defend. I will say that fully here to open up. But if there is a vulnerability on this team, I think it's there. I like Mark Webb. I really like Tyreek Stevenson. I think Tyreek Stevenson can be an excellent, if not elite player for us in the secondary. But I don't know if he's quite there yet. Mark Webb has been a really good player for us. He's great in run support, but he's had some issues at times defending from that slot position. And one thing that Alabama does is they do a really great job offensively of moving their guys around those elite receivers, whether it's Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, now Mechie. They move those guys around to create really favorable matchups. And we need an answer for that. I don't love the idea of Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle on Mark Webb in the slot. I really don't love that. I mean, Tyreek Stevenson, I feel a little bit better there, but I'm still not particularly confident when we're going to be mashed up with guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle in that spot. I mean, and, and they'll put those guys in the slot. I mean, they'll, they'll move them around, mix and match, and they will find favorable matchups. And just like I said, Malachi Moore in the slot was a really good matchup for us that we could potentially exploit. You know, they're probably saying the same thing right now about our star position. So that's really something that I'm concerned about hanging into this game. And really, like any good passing attack concerns me matching up with us in the slot. And the second reason for concern here is that I don't think the Bama defensive line has played up to its capabilities. And I was surprised at how well, how well Ole Miss moved those guys up front. I think fatigue, as I mentioned, really factored in there. But this is still the best defensive line we have faced to this point with an offensive line that has been certainly inconsistent at best. We looked really good against Auburn, but I don't know how much we should take away from that. I don't know how much comfort we should take from that because I'm not really all that sure. In fact, I don't believe that Auburn defensive front is really all that good at all. So that has to be a concern. No, they didn't play well against Ole Miss. But this is still, in my opinion, the best defensive front we face. I think they're better than Tennessee up front. And with our offensive lines, to me, still being a concern, I'm not completely sold there. I feel better than maybe I did in the first half of the Arkansas game, but I'm still not completely sold there right now, especially at right tackle matched up against LeBron Ray at times. Like that is a matchup that concerns me. I will say, I don't think we necessarily have to win this matchup, our offensive line versus the Bama defensive line. I don't think we have to win this matchup definitively like we did against Auburn. We just need to not get dominated. We need to hold our own in this match. And if we do, then I think that we'll have a pretty good chance to to be in this game late. Maybe our death can take over. We just cannot get overwhelmed by this front. They're going to come out angry after last week, motivated. Sure, we'll see how long that can last, but we just need to be able to withstand that, hold our own, play our game, and just play mistake-free football. I don't know if that's going to happen or if that's something that we should really expect, but we need to do everything we can to make that possible. That is a concern for me though right now. That defensive line I think is the best that we faced and our offensive line I still have some concerns there. So certainly something to watch very closely in this game. All right, Kurt, and let's wrap it up here with your one key to this game. 
I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said capitalizing on opportunities. Like you can't just get two turnovers on their side of the ball field and only get six points out of that. Like you've got to capitalize on every single turnover you can. You cannot waste an opportunity, especially on the road in a night game. Yeah, I mean, you can you can beat Tennessee doing that. You can get away with it against some teams, but you're not going to get away beating Alabama unless they just played the worst game in the history of the world. You can't count on that happening. You To beat this team at – because we have to assume they're going to play their best. And to beat them at their best, we're going to have to capitalize on every single opportunity that is presented to us. I totally agree with that. So that's a great one, no doubt about it. That's huge in this matchup. My one key to the game is very simply, can our front six defensively contain the Bama rushing attack? That's a good Alabama offensive line, guys. They're big, they're physical, they're experienced. As big as our offensive line was last year, they're actually even bigger, particularly Evan Neal at right tackle. I mean, we all know Isaiah Wilson was huge. Evan Neal is bigger. So I think this is the biggest challenge that our defensive line is going to have faced to this point in the year. I think that's pretty clear as far as I'm concerned. Now, with what they can do in the passing game, this Alabama offense, with multiple explosive and just downright dangerous wide receivers, as we have detailed throughout this show, we simply have to limit the big plays. Right now, through three games, Alabama is averaging four 30-plus yard plays a game and nearly two plays of 40-plus yards a game. It's going to be exceedingly difficult to limit those big plays in the passing game if they are gashing us with their run game. If it happens all game at some point, what we're going to have to do, if they're gashing us in the run game, we're going to have to take resources out of coverage and put them in the box. And then it's probably game over at that point. Because if we if we do that, we're going to have to go with some variation of either cover three or man free. And then one of those three dudes, one of those three wide receivers, whether it's Waddle, Smith, or Mechie, they're going to be in man coverage with no help, and they can all win that matchup, whoever gets that man coverage matchup. And we just cannot allow that to happen. We cannot allow that to happen. And I know a lot of people thought last week against Tennessee was put up or shut up time for the defensive line against that overhyped Tennessee offensive line. But I've been telling y'all, That Tennessee O-line hype was bogus. I've been telling you all that since the summer. But this is a real test. This is a legitimate offensive line for our defensive front to really prove its mettle against. To really show everyone, not just the defensive front, but how good we are in our front six stopping the run. I think we have to win this battle. Our front six versus their offensive line. I'm not saying we have to win it to, to the degree that we limit them to negative one yards rushing like we did Tennessee, but we have to at least hold this run game in check. We cannot let Najee Harris run wild and kill us. And and we've got to also try to find a way to pressure them too with a four-man rush. And I'll say this, it doesn't necessarily mean we will win the game if we win this matchup, but I can almost, I never speak in absolutes, I try not to speak in absolutes, but I can almost guarantee you that we won't win the game if we don't win this matchup. I think winning this matchup, while it won't guarantee a win, it'll give us a fighting chance. And then it's going to depend on what the offense can manage to do and how we hold up in the back end. But I really think that is the one key to the game. There are many keys to the game, but if I'm picking just one, that is it to me. Can our front six contain the Bama rushing attack? But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Really hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Thanks for checking us out and staying with us. We appreciate all the support. We really do. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. This is going to be an incredible matchup. I cannot wait to get over to Tuscaloosa and take this game in. I've been waiting on this one for a long time. Again, it's not under the circumstances 
that we all wanted it to be. But it's almost here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Just let's let's go, dogs. Let's find some way to get over this Bama hump, pull this one out, and uh, let's keep moving through this schedule. But thank you all for being with us today. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>